So He's Trump's going to be. Uh, oh, sorry. I was yawning. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know we were rolling. I mean, I knew we were rolling, but I didn't know we were like rolling, rolling. So rolling. I know, but I was yawning while you were fidgeting. I'm done fidgeting. Okay. Are you done yawning? I think so for now. Okay. The show notes calling out listeners one by one. Show notes, bloopers, and thank yous. It's so much fun. So Trump's going to be president. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. I. I, I when I saw it, I just sighed and threw my phone away. I mean, I think it was pretty obvious that he was going to do really well until the point that he may or may not be thrown in jail. But, um, yeah, he's got Ramos Marmy out. That wouldn't surprise me. So quickly? Yeah. Yeah. He was so gung-ho. Yeah, because he he immediately packed his bags, went to New Hampshire, and started campaigning for Trump. Like, pick me, pick me. I mean, he's claimed, hasn't he claimed that they're friends? Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. My, uh, that's just because he, all he does is suck his dick on the campaign trail. It's incredible. Hey, yo. Whoa. Oh, sorry. I, so early to start that. Yeah, it was. That was a little much, right? I mean, unless you have, like, insider knowledge and it's true. Uh, I can't really say. Are you speaking from experience? I can't really say. <laughs> So, so yeah, Asa Hutchinson dropped out, leading many observers to say, who? Yeah, I was. And or he was still in. Is <laughs> he so related to Josh Hutcherson, the actor? Totally. Okay. Yeah. They're, uh, they're, they're, I believe, first cousins. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I wrote a bit in the now member only newsletter. This is a different newsletter to clarify. We... We initially said the newsletter was always going to be member only. Right. Moving forward. But then we said, actually, we're going to add a new one. That's right. So this is the new member. Member. I'm calling it premium. Yeah. I feel like because it's like gas or because we're fire. Yeah. And yeah. member only always reminds me of the Sopranos members only jacket episode. Okay. Episodes. If you think that the members only jacket guy is the one that killed Tony Soprano. Whoa. Spoilers. If you believe that Tony Soprano was killed. Okay, there we go. Okay. I think he's with Tupac. Maybe. And Elvis. Yassine Bey had a lot to say about... Oh, no. Cat Williams had a lot to say about uh, Tupac. Did you watch Cat Williams, any of it yet? I didn't. <laughs> you didn't? I don't fully understand what's happening and why Cat Williams is relevant again. It's He's never not been relevant. Isn't he problematic or did I make that up? Uh, I don't know if he's problematic as much as he's just... Um, I think he's the he's a comics comic, okay, and has always been that, and is um, I, I I don't know if anybody has watched it. Well, I, there's been 60 million views of it, so I'm sure some of you have watched it. I've heard snippets. I just I don't I don't I know what I'm, enough of it. I don't know what I'm gonna get out of it. Hmm. I don't know. It's just, I think it's just a cultural moment. Okay. That's uh, that's really interesting, and it, and it just sent the internet ablaze, and we won't be talking about it in a, in a month. But anyway, I can check it out. Uh, yeah, so Tupac hanging right there with who? Tony Soprano. Tony Soprano, yeah. And uh, Tony none of that Soprano. has anything to do with anything. Do you know that that no. meme? Mm -mm. It's like Tony Soprano to the tune of Eleanor Rigby. Tony Soprano. And then it's something, something. Eats Gabagool. <laughs> 
a good friend of mine, her least favorite song in the whole wide world is Eleanor Rigby. It's a pretty sad song. It is. I think it's a fantastic song. I think She's Leaving Home is sadder. Oh my God, yeah. It's devastating. Yeah. Yeah, totally. This is like, ah, eh, dead people. But then it's like, ugh. <laughs> you know? Ugh, dead people. Ugh. Yeah. So in the premium newsletter, so to be clear, we're sending out the newsletter that you already get. And if you don't, just go on the website, unftr.com, and just find any of the multitude of places that you can just hit subscribe. We've and you'll had get. so many new signups that I'm like, I guess we really didn't do a good job of advertising it on the other site. Clearly. Because I think people are like, whoa, there's a newsletter. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's exciting because, I mean, we already so we already have thousands of people signed up for the newsletter, which is really cool because I think it's becoming like its own its own little thing. I actually have a lot of fun putting it together. It's not a pressure at all. It's just sort of like like another way to work things out during the week. Um, and we try to keep it as timely as possible. So I push the production team, <clears throat> i.e. 99, right to the brink uh, pretty much every week with it. But that's just because we want to keep it fresh. But I love putting it together. That, that's the reason. <laughs> that's the reason. Also, uh, this, this premium newsletter is because we always promised that everything that we had done we would continue to keep free. And that's really where we we decided that if we were going to gate anything, that it was going to be something different than what we already put out there. Because, you know, our job is to try and provide as much information and make it as accessible as possible. Oh, that reminds me. Something we haven't talked about in a long time, but we used to introduce at the beginning of every show, is that if you have any auditory processing issues and you prefer to listen to our episodes without background music, there is a musicless feed 99, how do they access that feed? So there's actually instructions in every show notes, uh, the physical show notes in your podcast app. I guess they're not physical, but digital, <laughs> tangible show notes. And then I believe if you go to unftr.com slash accessibility, there's a private RSS feed that you copy. And I think we give instructions for a few different platforms. To my knowledge right now, the only ones you can't add a private RSS feeds, the only podcast clients are Spotify, maybe Podbean. So I know that sucks. Spotify is becoming a pretty big yeah. place to use uh, to listen to podcasts. But, you know, just put if it's that important to you, like I think it's worth downloading Apple or Google podcasts and doing that. Uh, can you do it on Google? I think so. Yeah, check out the website. OK, well, Thank there you go. Um so I know we're all over the place, but it's just because we have so many new things going on. Back to the original point and why I brought, brought up the premium newsletter. I, I introduced a concept because I, I think the the premium newsletters and, and even the newsletter, the, the free newsletters itself is going to be, they're places that I try to work things out. And sometimes they help me clarify my thoughts that wind up in a future episode or we wind up talking about it in show notes. And one of the things I talked about in the premium newsletter that was just released to uh, our members this week is there are some hidden effects to the war in Gaza that we're not thinking about that are beginning to show up in the real economy. And what I was looking at is the the cost of shipping containers on the on the freight lines in the open seas have doubled in about 30 days. That is a significant increase and it's nowhere near what it was during COVID. But there's a path forward where you could see it actually getting there. And the reason that the shipping containers are going up is not because demand is increasing and not because we're 
actually hitting the part in the in a classic recovery, this time from a quasi-recession, but also from the supply chain disaster. We haven't hit the part of a rec- economic recovery yet where we begin to replenish inventories. And so what you see right now is a lot of providers of goods are continuing to deplete their inventories until they get down to almost zero as demand picks up and increases and they replenish these inventories. If you're in the apparel industry, you're beginning to do it anyway because you have new fashion designs coming through for spring collections and things like that. But for most durable and non-durable goods outside of apparel that aren't timely, that aren't timely in that same way, there's a, a natural ebb and flow to the uh, to demand versus inventory. So inventories are still declining and going close to zero, which they should be, you know, the, a statistical zero in the first and second quarter. And then you'll start to see them replenishing it as demand picks back up, et cetera, et cetera. That's all part of a natural recovery. During that period, the cost to ship things on the open seas is very, very low. And the reason for that is because there's a lot of empty containers and there's just a lot of capacity out there because of where inventories are and where demand is. But the fact that the what is shipping right now, now it, they have to endure double the, the, the cost increases means that at some point that's going to start working it through in the price of goods. So that's a really problematic trend. And the reason it's important right now is because it's impacting two important areas. One is consumer goods because that's what's on the high seas. And the other part is oil tankers and oil freighters. And the reason for that is twofold. One is a climate disaster, and that is the fact that the Panama Canal is literally fucking drying up. And the other part of it is that you have all of the issues surrounding the Mediterranean region because you have, you basically have the the, the Houthis that are, you know, taking from Yemen that are taking over the ships and they're causing all of this concern. And now the U.S. is responding in that area. And you have the, the freight companies that are having to send their containers and their freighters around the Horn of Africa, which is increasing lead time, sometimes up to two weeks. And so people are having to reroute freight all over the world just in order to get to their destinations because they obviously don't want their tankers and freighters caught up you know, in, in some sort of rebellion. This is something that could theoretically continue for many, many months. If that's the case, we're not going to see the prices increase on these goods for many, many months after that. So if you start to do the timing, imagine that you have these forces that are backed by Iran. You have some the, the rebel groups. You have Islamist groups that are uh, fighting in this region and creating all of this controversy and havoc in, in that region. And they're going to have to continue to send freight all around the world and it's going to increase the costs. Well, if that endures, let's say, into the second quarter, what you're going to see is the price of goods will increase by the time the summer rolls around. During the summer, gas prices naturally go up. If gas prices go up under this artificial pressure and they naturally go up because people are on the roads, they're traveling more and our consumption is higher, meaning the demand is higher, then we could fa- we could be facing a situation where you see gasoline, again, well into the $4, maybe into the $5 range in the summer months and the price of goods starting to increase. And we know how long it takes for goods to come back down again. So even if the Biden infrastructure plan and all the stimulus spending works its way into the real economy, which you know I think is fantastical, but let's say in a perfect condition that all happens, it has to happen perfectly and it won't happen during the summer if these conflicts continue and we increase the prices. So even if everything comes together and by the time people pull the lever on election day in November at the polls, everything has retreated again, 
and inflation has come back down, interest rates are somewhat normal, and the price of gas has gone back down. The damage has already been done because that's not going to reflect in your pocketbook until you get into 2025. Because everything always operates under a lag. So right now, Biden's intransigence and not calling for a ceasefire and not having a more active role, apart from the humanitarian crisis that's unfolding, which is already costing him votes and is already going to keep people at home, this is going to have a real, real impact on the real economy. And that might be his actual undoing when we Monday morning quarterback everything after this is all done. It's just it's such it's such foolishness and it's so stupid that we're standing on some sort of bizarre antiquated principle uh, because we have no foreign policy and we don't have the ability to even look out among ourselves. So even if you take the most clinical, heartless approach to this thing, they should be calling for a ceasefire, if nothing else, because they're they're jeopardizing the administration's ability to stay in office. And that will deliver us a Trump presidency. And the other thing I'm starting to think about is who the fuck is going to work for this guy? If Donald Trump becomes the president, Mark Lamont Hill just did a video yesterday, by the way, which is pretty good, where he goes through and he ranks all of the potential VP candidates, and he lands on a really interesting one. Spoiler alert, he thinks it's going to be Ben Carson. And it's so fucking smart, his rationale for it. So he goes through why, who would be good, who wouldn't be good, And he lands on Ben Carson because he says he needs somebody who's not going to steal the spotlight. He needs somebody that's going to appeal to a constituency that he does not have. And he admits that in the the black community in the United States, despite the fact that Ben Carson looks a little bit like a traitor to them, he's still a really accomplished person who rose through the ranks and is still respected as a great surgeon within the black community. So it's like they're willing to give him the pass. Is it going to turn out the vote? No, but it might be enough for people to stay home and say, well, at least we'll get a black vice president. He's also said he also said that he won't steal his thunder in the limelight. He's been extraordinarily loyal. And Ben Carson has started showing up at certain things and started throwing his support on him behind social in social media and things like that. And if you're talking about preparedness and readiness in a role, he's already served in a director in a cabinet position. And he theoretically has some experience running stuff, and he might be the perfect running mate. So imagine a Trump and Ben Carson ticket going against Biden and Harris. So uh, in Lamont Hill's mind, his ethnicity negates Kamala Harris's ethnicity and the the minority checkbox saying, okay, well, I got a black guy, but you have a, a, a woman of color. So that sort of cancels out, and now you're back up against Biden and Trump. What people are going to remember about the Trump years when they're being honest with themselves at the polls is that they had more money in their pockets. Yes, inequality widened, but in the run-up to 2019, people had more money in their pockets at the top and the bottom, even though inequality was widening. And through the pandemic, as horrific as that was and as mismanaged as it was, people don't assume we're going to have another pandemic that will be bungled. But they had more money in their pockets because everybody was home and they got stimulus checks. Not Trump's idea, not his vision. It actually wound up being Steve Mnuchin's. But you know what? It happened. And so people are going to, because we suffer from collective amnesia in this country, people are going to look back at that period and be like, I had more money under that guy than this guy. Nothing else materially changed. And here we are again. Gas prices are five fucking dollars. The goods at the at the store and at the supermarket are all more expensive than they were, you know, or as expensive as they were two years ago when I had the least amount of money in my pocket. This guy can't run the fucking economy. 
And if you're a person of color in this country, you're going to be like, you know what? Not for nothing. But um, Biden has shown his true colors in the conflict in Gaza and doesn't care about brown people anywhere. So if you are of Arab descent, you are not pulling the trigger for this guy. And if you're a person of color, you might sit this one out as we went through with Roger Williams. So you can see this all fucking lining up, all things coming up Trump. And the other thing that Trump got was the bump from the back end of the Obama and Biden economy the first time around. So even the policies that Trump implemented, yes, he did the tax cuts that put more money in people's pockets at the very, very top. But because the economy was strong coming out of the Obama years, he has that he had that wind at his back to make sure to, to basically stimulate the economy, even though the real economy was beginning to suffer and then suffered dramatically through the pandemic. Well, he's going to get that bump again if he becomes the president. And it's going to look like this guy on the economy can do no fucking wrong because he's going to have all of the infrastructure and stimulus spending from the Biden administration once again. So the pattern continues where the Republicans come in and they basically crater anything related to social services. They basically fuck up anything that's meaningful to people on a cultural and social level. They pad the wallets and the pocketbooks of the wealthiest people in this country. And they tell you that it will trickle down because at some point it winds up trickling down because the Democrats come in and periodically fix everything. And then that money a few years later winds up back in your pocket. And by the time you have a Republican administration that takes the fucking credit for it. So that's what I'm thinking about. And that's kind of what I wrote about in the newsletter, although I actually did it in a more concise way than I just did just now. I don't like anything that you're saying. I know it's all terrible. It sounds like my life is going to be really miserable. It's all very terrible. In that spirit, our episode this week is on mental health. (laughs) And my declining. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, do you want to do some membership housekeeping here? Yeah, sure. Okay. (laughs) After that. Um, So as everyone knows, we, or maybe people don't, we have brought our membership platform in-house. So we previously used Buy Me a Coffee and now we have our own little platform at unftr.com slash memberships. So I've gotten a few questions about if I was already a member, do I need to become a member again? I haven't answered everybody's emails. I'm getting to them, but I figured I'd announce it here. So if you were an annual member on Buy Me Coffee, your Buy Me Coffee membership has already been canceled for you. So I took care of that and sent everyone emails and let them know, hey, we canceled this. Your renewal date was X. If you want to renew, please renew on the new platform. And I'm going to send a reminder when that date comes. So annual members are taken care of. The monthly members, it's a little harder because it's not like I can cover you all in one fell swoop because you all have different renewal dates and they're just constantly fluctuating. So if you are a monthly member, and you want to take it upon yourself to become a member on our on our new site, please do so. So you can go to, I think there's, should be in the FAQs, a cancellation thing. Basically log into your account, cancel your membership, and just sign up again on the new site. And you won't, have, it'll be, it'll be recurring just like it was on Buy Me Coffee. If you don't have your login, send me an email. I can cancel it manually. That's the gist of it. I think The confusion about donating is still there because right now the membership environment kind of takes over where it says to support, but we do still have the option to do a one-time donation. Right now, um, or as it was, there wasn't a room, wasn't room for a memo because I know like Maria from PR wrote in that she likes to send us little notes 
Um, I'm gonna add, I've, or I've added at this time already, a box for a memo and a nickname so you don't have to use your real name when donating. So it'll look pretty much the same, but if you go to unftr.com memberships, right at the top, there's like a horizontal box that goes across all the membership things that says support. So it takes you to a little payment portal and you just enter your, your, your information. It's not as seamless as it was with Buy Me Coffee because it, but you can get it to save your credit card information. So it should be seamless. Um, and I think that's it. I just wanted to kind of address those little things. And this is just a lot easier for, for us, frankly. And I think that we're able to deliver a lot more benefits to the members and we have more flexibility. So previously people would get hit for their, their annual membership and they wouldn't know. So like if they forgot they paid and then all of a sudden $300 right. comes in, like that sucks. And the other platform just didn't have that yet. I'm sure they will eventually. Like I recommend it for any small creators looking to put a little tip jar out there. But for us, we we're getting to a size where we needed to have more custom ability. So that's where we're at. It also helps us align the benefits that are associated with the membership tiers in a really, really clean and crisp environment for us on the back end so that we don't make any mistakes with this. When you have multiple platforms out there, it leads to uh, potential fail points. So when we have everything consolidated in one place, we know who you are. We know what you signed up for. We can execute on all the benefits that you receive. And speaking of that, we are going to, for the, I believe it is the Comrade and Above tiers, receive an invitation to the monthly hang with Max. Right now we are working on the most available and accessible technology for people to be able to join us. I mean, it it may very well be a Zoom link or we might be working with a different link that, that allows people to gather so that they can basically participate in the hang and leave comments in a live environment with us. And we're also working on booking our first surprise guest for the hang. So uh, that's gonna debut in February. And uh, that gives us time to really transfer as many people over to the new portal as possible, uh, keep up with the membership tiers, and uh, and formalize this process. All of which is housed on this beautiful new website, which, I, again, I cannot thank 99 enough for. 99, you are the GOAT <laughs> for putting this all together. I want to thank the uh, the people, the unsung heroes behind the scenes that uh, that helped us at our day job to put this together, uh, chiefly led by our, our head developer and friend Rambo. And in our day um, job, we trade penny stocks. That's right. That's right. And uh, we have several that we think are going to be blockbusters this year. If you want to get in on it, get in on it now, because I'm being told that they're really going to sail. Yeah. And I've never seen Wolf of Wall Street. Sell this pen to me right now. <laughs> I would um, fail that exercise. Oh, me too. Me too. No, you would definitely. There's absolutely. You could sell a pen. I don't know. You I can know. be very convincing. I can barely sell memberships, let alone a pen. <laughs> That's Jeez. different. This is all about cunning and charm. Mm, yeah, well, uh, there's two new directories also being added just while we're talking about the website before we get into uh, some feedback here. If you go to the website, you will see a section uh, below the new section that lists a directory of progressive resources. And it's an ever-expanding, ever-growing resource directory. We're adding two new ones. One is climate justice and the other is social justice. Those should be up by the time you hear this, so we're excited to add those. Uh, 99 is working behind the scenes to put together an animal rights activist and organization directory as well. Yeah, call out to my plant fuckers. If there's any organizations that you love, um, please let me know. I'm not struggling, but I'm because I'm more on the like... Hardcore vegan side? Eh, 
I wouldn't say I mean not not that I'm not staunch about it, but hardcore vegan I feel like sends a a, a different type of message. Like I think all of you are evil, which I do, but mm-hmm. you know I just don't really yeah. say it. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm more on the animal rights in terms of like like sanctuary work. That's where right. my personal like activism lays. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean I know of some like in, like would you consider resources for emerging plant based food tech like would you consider that a resource i i would yeah because i'm not sure that that would fit neatly any i mean it could fit under climate justice but i think that that's i think that's a really good place for it okay yeah so i have some of those resources that i like but in terms of like what if PETA was good like those types of resource who's the good version of PETA? stuff like that right so send those in to me if you have any suggestions that's the other thing too is um so we do have a a section where you can submit them and we've got a few uh submissions already if possible um one example is a a small organization that looks to do some extraordinary work and i want to include it in the directory but one of the things that we do when we vet them is we take a look at the 990s we take a look at the purpose and the mission we look at where they're based and the breadth of their service delivery options um, so uh, I couldn't exactly tell on this one, for example, the um, the region and or regions that they serve or if it's a national organization, couldn't find a link to the 990 or the about information. Um, so try if so, try to provide organizations that, you know, have that type of clarity uh, so that we can do a little investigation work because we don't want to link out to anybody that isn't really, truly a progressive organization. Now, that being said, there are some organizations in there that are massive organizations. And there's always, the bigger the organization, the more problematic they can potentially be. And so we're trying to straddle a uh, delegate. I've, I've participated in some small organizations. They that can are, be pretty shitty yeah. as well, yeah. Um, you know, but that's where you have to kind of uh, make a, a judgment call, like is the, is the mission uh, bigger and more important than some of the things I don't like about it. So it's just, it's like anything else in life. You just have to kind of balance that out and weigh it out. If you find anything that you find truly objectionable to the to a progressive cause, though, um, please state your case and let us know because we also don't want to include things that really don't align well with the mission. I told so. you to take the NRA off. Why? I just don't really think that. I know it's our amendments and all of our rights. And 99. How do you stop a bad guy with a gun? You find a good guy with a gun. That's right. And that is the core mission of the NRA. And that's why we support them wholeheartedly. Second Amendment. Hoorah! There's one of those, um, like, men on the street interviews where they go to Trump rallies and they Mm -hmm. ask people things. And I can't remember why, but they were asking if they think animals should be armed. (laughs) Like, should we give guns to deers? And most of the people said no, but one guy was like, yeah, fuck yeah, give them all guns. And I was like, I'm kind of on his side. If we're going to hunt them, let them fight back. Amazing. Could you imagine a deer holding like a little rifle? Mm-hmm. Big buck hunter, but it's big people hunter. I, and sometimes I watch those videos when animals attack and, you know, get even with the hunters and I love them. Uh, they upset me too much. Like I, any, I don't like watching them attack each other. I know it's the circle of life, but. Do you know what videos I love and my family uh, can't stand that I love them? Um, let me guess. Slime? Earwax removal no, videos. No, you don't. Oh, my God. Ew. It is internet porn for me. Ew. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, they come up on my feed, mm-hmm. and I'm like, Ugh! and I'll send one to my friend just to gross her out. Like, you yeah. know, you have that one friend who also likes gross shit. Mm-hmm. So, like, my one friend, I'm like, here you go. I, I didn't like it. Yeah. So, are you a pimple popper? 
kind no, of guy? No, I'm not a pimple popper person. And that's pimple interesting because my, my kids love Ew. pimple popping. Ugh, and no, it doesn't do it. do it for me. But earwax removal, shout out to Dunham Hearing Specialists in the UK. Oh Your videos are the best. I like watching people <laughs> get like pedicure transformations. Yeah. They no. have like really nasty talons. No, you know I like they, feet, so I can't look at really awful feet even in a before or after state. So I mean, uh, I also like it watch people getting their eyebrows waxed. No, I didn't. Nope. Why? I, nope. I love how nice they look afterwards. Are you like into eyebrows? Anyway, let's just move on. Uh, <laughs> I do. I don't know why. No, I want to keep talking about it. I, this, this always... I think that, I think it's an old Eddie Murphy skit where he's talking about Larry Holmes. He's talking about boxers, and uh, thank you for clarifying they, who that was. They interviewed Larry Holmes. He's talking about an interview with Larry Holmes, and they asked him a question about a fight, and he just says, "I like eggs, but sometimes if you cook them too long, they taste like eyebrows." <laughs> and I don't know why that struck me as so funny, but I said that. I don't know. My friends and I in high school said that like a thousand times to each other. Anyway, what do eyebrows, eyebrows taste story. like? We were talking about, did you hear our eyebrow conversation yesterday? No. Uh, our friend who does the money things <laughs> wanted to, he was, <laughs> I don't know what else to call him. He, where, why were we talking about eyebrows? Oh, because I told him his beard grade like overnight. Yeah. And it's like worrying me. Yeah. And, but I was like, his, your eyebrows are still dark. And then he was telling me about, he doesn't know how to trim them because he used to go to the barber, but now he's bald ish. So he, I love it though. I think he's good. He looks like Jason Statham. He wanted to take the his own hair buzzer to his eyebrows. Oh. And I said, "What the fuck? No. What are you doing?" And I said, "Use a scissor." And he was like, "No, that sounds too scary." And I was like, "You're gonna buzz your eyebrows off, dude." Yeah. Oh God, that would be amazing. And if I was he like, he that, can though. get one of the little lines through his eyebrow. Yeah. What is that? Just cool, That's, cool kids. Is stuff. it though? Our kids is high school. <laughs> Still on? <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> Are they back from winter break? Yeah. I went to the yeah. uh, the coffee. My store. college student isn't. I, I'm not even sure she's enrolled. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> probably. But I went to to I get wow. I, I went to get coffee and there was like a gaggle of teens mm. and I was like, why aren't you in school? Mm. Like a, you know, maybe it's senior cut day. I I think they they were. I heard one of them. She was like. I know what sport night is like. And I was like, oh God, wow. you know, like spirit day or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so simple. I miss that. Yeah. Nothing mattered except like what color shirts Nothing we wearing mattered to except spirit day. Everything mattered. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, that's why I, I think I had some of that passion into my young adulthood, but now I'm numb. <laughs> so mm. I'm like, I don't fucking care. Unless you really not peak me. in high school. Did you peak in high school? Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say it peaked in high school, but I definitely I'm I didn't hate high school. I I had that experience in college where people would be like, I'm "So fucking glad I'm not in high school." And I was like, "I kind of miss my friends." I don't know. The, I, I was maybe I was at my school for too long, but I was I was just yes, the nice that's guy. For sure. And uh, I was friends with everybody. Okay. And um, but the the, uh, the girls sent me to College of Virgin. Ew! Don't I just say couldn't get like a date. That. I know. I couldn't get a date to save my life. You had to go to I sleepaway once, camp. I once asked. I know. I know. <laughs> I once asked a girl out um, before class girl started, send and me to college of virgin. I know. I was, was so mad at them. I was so mad at them. I'm still mad at them for that. So I asked her out before, uh, and I was a senior, and she was a junior. I asked her out before school, uh, class started, and by the first free period, she broke up with me. I'm like, I didn't. I haven't even seen you. 
Because she probably told She's her like, friends. I really thought twice about this. <laughs> like, oh, come on. I did that in eighth grade. A nice boy asked me out, and I said yes. And then I was like, I don't actually like you. I felt bad. I'm sorry. I was scared. Yeah. Okay. He had sweaty hands. Oh. We held hands. I did not have sweaty once. hands. I didn't have sweaty hands. That's good. That and wasn't the only and reason. I had amazing I broke hair. Up yeah. Yeah. I saw the honestly. I saw the picture you showed me the other day. You were so cute. Oh, thanks. You were. Thanks. And I wasn't a fuck boy. Well, I, I just had the hair. Did they exist? What What was obviously the, I wasn't a fuckboy. The what late eighties equivalent <laughs> of a fuckboy? Yeah. Oh my God, we invented it. Robert Downey Jr. I was thinking uh, Nick Cage and Valley Girl. No, you got to think more Rob Lowe and Saint Elmo's Fire. Okay. <laughs> you were the what's his name? Uh, I can't remember the movie. No, uh, I'm going Sixteen Candles. Uh, one. I was more an Andrew McCarthy type, like, you know, just like the quiet, nice guy with a really full head of hair. But I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't pull. Who, Breakfast Club, Brat Pack, Anthony. Anthony Michael Hall? Yeah, I could, I was, conf- I was like, which one is Michael C. Hall mm. and which one is he? Yeah, not him. Not, not an Anthony Michael no. Hall? Isn't, Mike, isn't he a kid, isn't Kids in the Hall, Michael C. Hall? No. That's, isn't Michael C. Hall Dexter? Oh, Michael C. Hall is Dexter. That's right. I know him from Six Feet Under. Mm, yes. Okay. I didn't become a Dexter fan, but Six Feet Under was my jam. I didn't watch Dexter either, but yeah. You know, oh, my wife it was and everywhere. I cried and cried and cried at the finale of Six Feet Under. We didn't want it to go away. My parents what a twisted, watched twisted, it. twisted one. When I was younger, uh, they would watch The Sopranos, you know, Sunday. Sure, as, and as you do. And I was like, why can't I watch with you? And they were like, mm. you can't. And I just mm-hmm. thought it was a bunch of men singing. Oh. I like, they were all in tuxedos in my brain and like singing. And I was like, I don't know why I can't watch this. Yeah, strange. And then I found out one day, I was like, oh, okay. That makes more sense than mm. the singing. Well, I'm sorry I spoiled the ending for you. Uh, it's, it's okay. I, I just don't know how I'm going to recover. It was 25 years ago. And, but the ending is controversial. It is. Because. Not to me, though. I loved it. I loved it the moment. I loved it at that moment. And I still love it. Did I, you love the Seinfeld ending? <laughs> I wasn't a Seinfeld guy. Wow. I know. Anti-Semitic. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of those Jewish shows that was never really into it. I didn't so- honestly sounds like it. No, I really Name wasn't. Name one Jewish show you watched. One Jewish show? Yeah. Like, they a control show, Hollywood. A so show with Jewish energy. <laughs> with Jewish energy? Oh, God. I'm um, holding a fake gun. It was with Paul Reiser. Oh, my God. What was the Paul Reiser vehicle? <laughs> I like saying stuff like that. Vehicle. Do you feel like you're on to rewatchable? Oh, god damn it! Is Paul Reiser the Ross's dad in Friends? I wasn't a Friends guy. I was. I mean, I watched it, and now I don't. I like. I, I thought it was funny when I was. I don't. I know Friends people love it, but I don't think it holds up. Mad about you? Oh, yeah. Paul I love Reiser Paul Reiser. Is not who I'm. Who, who am I thinking of? Paul Reiser was the dad in Whiplash. Like the movie. Like the with movie. One of the best movies ever. Good soundtrack. I'm thinking of Elliot Gould. Oh, I love Elliot Gould too. He brings Jewish energy to whatever. Oh, big he time, does. big time, big Jew energy. Yeah, love that. Bje. Yes. All right. Well, I just te- uh, I I'm, you passed the test. No, it's fine. Okay. I was just checking. Um, it was mad about you, Helen Hunt. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, and of course, yes, with the Helen Hunt, and of course, Paul Reiser from Diner. I mean, God, what a movie! You ever see Diner? Uh, I have not. You have not? It's a rite of passage movie. I wonder if it holds up. I'd have to go see it again, but it was a serious rite of passage movie. So you're talking about Paul Reiser, 
Billy Crystal's best friend in uh, the City Slickers. What the fuck was his name? Da- da- uh, da- um, Danny DeVito. Oh God, I can't remember his name. Um, and and an unbelievable Mickey Rourke. Oh. Mickey Rourke was the fucking man. He was truly. I mean, he 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 was brand, he was going to be the Brando. He was going to be the James Dean. He was so good. And then he lost his well. Again, we have the mental health episode coming <laughs> yeah. up, and I'm learning change, to change I'm learning a whole new language. Let's Wait, get into some feedback, shall we? I was going to tell you a funny story. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, so on Chicago Fire. Oh my God. There's um. 99. I, I finished. I fi- I'm up to date. Are you going to rewatch they it from the beginning tonight, again? tonight, as of this recording, January 17th, 8 p.m. I'm going to be there. Oh. I Go on. To, I have to pick up my sister from the airport, so I have to DVR them. Thankfully, I'm at my parents for a couple days. You have to DVR them? Yeah. Do you, you have a DVR Everyone still? has a DVR. You DVR things. My parents do. Oh, my God. My dad watches. Continue. He watches every, name a show he watches it. So, like, he has to DVR because he's got too much going on. And then he goes, I don't have anything to watch. I go, well, yeah, you watched everything, but also go outside your box. <laughs> he was watching a Christian movie yesterday with... Uh, I know. I, it was like a Christian. Is it with Hillary Swank? I think she's in a Christian movie coming up. And I'm really upset about that. That's weird. No, it was William Shatner, like a horse Christian movie. I, yeah, I walked in on it and I was like, what the fuck are you watching? And William <laughs> Shatner was like, talking like this. He was like, we need a horse badly. And Ryan Merriman from Smart House, the Disney Channel movie was there. I don't know. There was a British woman. I don't think she was actually British. They make a lot of television now. Yeah, it was probably on GAC, Great American Country. So there's a whole feud about all the Hallmark actors going to GAC, like DJ from Full House, because they did Hallmark made gay movies. Oh, DJ yeah, defected yeah. to GAC. I didn't know that. I that's feel like what I've talked was. about this on yeah. this podcast before. Yeah, is that a Kirk Cameron they're, well, they're related. thing? Well, they're they're brother and sister. No, but I mean, is that is he oh. like an owner in that or a production company somehow? I don't know, okay. maybe. But yeah, so he was probably watching a Gak movie without knowing the uh, what it stands for. But Chicago Fire, I'm watching. I'm, I'm Wikipediaing people. Jimmy Borelli, one of the characters, mm-hmm. Steve McQueen's grandson. Wow. And then I go, I text in my group chat that I have with my sister and my roommate about called One Chicago Heads, and um. I say nobody's the the actors on the show aren't as, as into it as you are. For Hanukkah, she gave me a Chicago five, no, a, a one Chicago sweatshirt. Of Chicago. Did she make it at Etsy? <laughs> I think she got off like Redbubble, <laughs> a, a Chicago Fire blanket, like a chenille blanket, and the some stickers. I got her a, a Molly shirt, which is the pub they all go to. And there, it's actually a real place in Chicago. So one day we're going to go to Chicago and go to Molly's. I really can't speak because I am watching Jack Reacher and it is the fucking worst. Like, uh, yeah, I'm under no, I, I understand that it, A, it's propaganda <laughs> for cops and firefighters. Firefighters rule. They Cops I, rule. I think that is the sentiment. I would be on the firefighter softball team. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I'd be up with the doctors because I think those are my people. Oh, okay. Uh, Jewish? No, I just like them. Oh. They're smart and they can tell me if I'm dying. Oh, boy. So, anyway. Okay, so Steve McQueen's grandson, Jimmy Borelli. So go, mm-hmm. oh my God, Jimmy Borelli is Steve McQueen's grandson. My roommate goes, didn't he die at 21? I go, that's James Dean. <laughs> <laughs> you got them all together. Look at you. You really actually sewed that up nicely. Wow. Wow. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Let's get into some feedback here, shall we? 
You're the one who went on a shipping tirade. That's that's related. What? This isn't important. It's going to determine the outcome of the election. This is one Chicago shipping Wednesday. Shy hearts or shy hearts. Chai? Shipping shy? containers. Shy. Who knew? Like shy town. Shy town. Yeah. So not chai because it's not Chicago. China. Do you know they call China. it shy rack? What? That's like a like it's not. I, they the show didn't make it up. It's like a nickname because there's like For so Iraq? much. They call it Chirac? For Chicago. Chicago. Oh. Because oh, there's see. like so much violence. Oh, that's not nice. I'm Max, you're a fucking Jesus didn't exist denialist, says Cam. <laughs> that's how our feedback starts this week. I put in some ones that I, I put oh, in the, a bunch the of- The YouTubers tore me to I know. I, I was laughing putting it together. There's a lot of feist in, in this one. Uh, so this is in response to my uh, phone a friend with uh, one of my best friends in the world. And I hope you listened. I hope you got an opportunity to maybe see him on YouTube and and enjoyed it. A great conversation. Bible study for me. Uh, sort of uh, eavesdropping on conversations that we have all the time. Anyway, he's an awesome, awesome, awesome individual. Uh, but Cam took some issue with uh, my kind of take on the Jesus story. Max, are you a fucking Jesus didn't exist denialist, a.k.a. rejection of historical Jesus? Jesus did not exist. No contemporary evidence. If you're not one of those, as 30 minutes into your phone, a friend with Roger might suggest, phew, LOL. Then don't bother the rest of the unfuckers with further any of this. Well, I can't say that I'm not one of those, so I will bother the unfuckers with this. Here we go. Except to say that I, too, am an atheist, and I had a close Lutheran pastor friend. We didn't polish off bottles of wine together, but our lunch discussions were still very enjoyable. I miss my pastor friend, and I'm very jealous that you have Roger as such a close friend. As you well know, I love to talk about theology and biblical history. In short, I really enjoyed this phone a friend. It's kind of a head fake there, right? It's kind of <laughs> slapping me around a little bit, but it was fun. Yeah, they had us the first half. I'm not going to lie. So anyway, if you are the Jesus did not exist sort, Roger has my utmost fucking respect for being patient with you. I think a better question is, why are you so fucking invested in asserting that Jesus didn't exist? I see this shit all the time with my fellow atheists, and you really have to do a lot more work, contrary to Occam's razor, which is the simplest explanation is usually the right one. It reminds me of evangelicals whose heads explode when I point out that Jesus was, in fact, a devout Jew. You do not have to believe all the supernatural shit attributed to Jesus because you would know that Christianity was not fucking manifest from thin air. Some person first advanced it, and you don't have to believe that he also walked on water. I would put that under the supernatural story. I can walk on shit. water. Uh, in my eyes, you do. Hmm. Um, so... I joke with Roger about the ghost baby all the time um, because that's just uh, part of our banter. Do I think Jesus was a historical figure and does it matter? The framing of my question to Roger was how much does it matter to him and his faith and his teachings that Jesus was a real man or not? Because there is controversy as to whether or not the Christ figure actually exists in history and the circumstances surrounding his birth and his teachings, his missing years, and then ultimately his crucifixion and his trial, most of those details that we take from the Bible cannot be matched up with historical record. But there is evidence that some dude, maybe named Jesus Christ, walked around and had a ministry. Jesus and um <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to, but oh, that was pre-Nazi. I, I enjoyed that song a lot, too, you know. Yeah, pre yes, the pre-Nazi. Um, so there's a lot of evidence to suggest that 
very few, if any, of the details surrounding the life, the teachings, the trial, and the execution of Jesus Christ didn't really happen, or certainly didn't happen in the way that it is uh, put out in the Bible. But the mythology grew around a figure that I believe probably existed at the time, and then the stories and the narratives surrounding him were, you know, cobbled together many, many years after his uh, his presumed passing, and then they basically turned him into the Messiah posthumously. So, okay. My question to Roger was how important is the actual text? Because remember, we were having a conversation about uh, being a textualist and being an originalist and and sort of parlaying that over to how people interpret the Constitution and, and fix things in time. And he takes a very, very uh, open approach, but it is important to him that he was a man because, as he said, his teachings teach us how to be human. So in that respect, he's not. he was talking about Jesus not teaching us how to be godlike or live in the likeness of God, but how to live a good life on earth. And he extrapolates a lot of his teachings from that point. He is not a, a textualist. He's not somebody that uh, is you would consider a fundamentalist interpreter of the biblical word of God. He's somebody that understands the importance of this lesson and these teachings in life and how it can be applied over millennium. So from my perspective, I don't really care one way or the other whether or not Jesus was a real person. I mean, the, you know, the idea of Moses being a real person or Noah living to 700 years old or, you know, or that Genghis Khan was also um, purportedly... Are you Genghis Khan denial? Denialist? No, I think Genghis Denier? Khan existed, but they say that he was uh, birthed from uh, somebody cutting open his uh, his virgin mother's side and he just fell out of her, his, her virgin it, mother. So the virgin birth stories are all throughout history. I think Romulus and Remus are, are uh, the Buddha, Jesus Christ, Genghis Khan. The virgin birth is a trope throughout history that, that you know, different cultures and religions have, have built themselves around. All of the miracles that were performed, I think, are narratives that grew over time. And that's why you don't see that they're necessarily aligned in the Gospels. And there isn't, you know, full alignment in, in historical research about things that might have been done. Does it fucking matter? It only matters to me to the extent that we have now organized a great deal of our politics, our society, and in some cases our economics around the principle that this was a real embodiment of God on earth in the form of a man who taught us things that are, you know, possibly completely anachronistic and people try to place it in today's context. That's it. I just, I don't, um, you know, I, I don't care whether or not he really was a real person or not. I don't see enough real evidence out there to suggest that he was actually a person who people at the time thought was the Messiah and or the Son of God, or that he even had disciples that, you know, stayed with him his entire life. And and I think a lot of that stems from the fact that he has like, you know, I don't know, 30 missing years from his biography. He was in the cave. In a cave for 30 years? Yeah, he went on the cave and then came up. For 30 years? I think so. So how did he learn, uh, th how did he learn scripture and how did he learn he how to be up. a carpenter? No, he made them all up. He made them all up. Look at that. I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, my point is, if, if I have a conversation about uh, somebody like the Christ figure in a historical context, it's the like... The Christ figure. Well, that's... that's <laughs> that's what he is. That that's and and the, by the way, that's what the church calls him. So, okay. um, when I have conversations about that, it's it's less about 
questioning somebody's belief system or the authenticity of a religion or trying to, you know, really or, or trying to make people feel bad or, or have some sort of like, you know, atheist superiority complex because you believe in something fantastical. It's, it's not about that. It's more about like how important are the lessons versus the person, because if it's the lessons, I'm all in. I think it's more important. I mean, it, it depends probably on the person. But the fundamentalist wing of the Republican Party, specifically in the conservative movement in this country, has organized around the principle that that was a the person who is the son of God and that everything that we do should be in service of pleasing that person. And they take a lot of liberties with the fundamentalist aspects of Scripture to oppress the people who Jesus would have supported the most. And, and so those are the things that I, that I have trouble with. This isn't a show about religion, but insofar as religion and this, this very bizarre conservative strain of evangelicals in the Republican Party have such tremendous influence over our daily lives here because of some something that they themselves have concocted around a narrative that supports white supremacy, that's really problematic. So. When we have these discussions, it's like, you want to go there? Let's talk about it, you know? So I, you can rely on one book and I'll rely on every book other than that one to describe what was really going on at the time. Anyway, so. Did you know that or, or did you see that the Pope is doesn't like surrogacy? No. He says it's bad. But my roommate was like, Mary was a surrogate. Oh, snap. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> fucked up? That's so great. <laughs> it's true. It's like, That's how so can great. you be against surrogacy when she was carrying God's son? Oof. Damn. That's pretty good. She went to Catholic school, so mm. give her full credit. She suffered through Why Catholic Why is he against school. surrogacy? I don't understand that. Let's see. Um, he says, I deem deplorable the practice of so-called surrogate motherhood, which represents a grave violation of the dignity of the woman and the child based on the exploitation of the situation of the mother's material needs. I don't. Really, what the fuck does that even mean? I don't understand. Mean? He wants to ban it. Ban he wants to ban it. This guy. Surrogacy turns a child into an object of trafficking. What? He added, saying a child is always a gift Where are and you never this? the basis of a commercial contract. NPR. This is from January 9th. The what? Pope wants surrogacy banned. Here's why one advocate says that's misguided. Just one advocate? Shouldn't we all be saying it? <laughs> oh my goodness. So surrogates are child traffickers. You heard it here first. Okay. See? Epstein was a surrogate. <laughs> Stop it. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so anyway, those are my uh, really random thoughts on uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, but I am happy that uh, you enjoyed the conversation, Cam. And uh, as always, I appreciate your feedback. At Fetlock said, what a rare and precious depth of consideration given to these very sticky, tender topics. I feel like I found money in a new coat pocket. Fetlock, that is a very kind and sweet sentiment. Thank you. Yeah, I just thought it was a good little turn of phrase. A new coat pocket, which means you bought it from the store and had money in it. Which, that, that's a miracle. I mean, yeah. Right? We're talking miracles. Wonder of wonder, miracle, the miracle. Another good movie, Miracle. Didn't you just talk about this the mm -hmm. other day? We just said the word miracle. Well, I was singing Fiddler on the Roof. Well, let's get I into. Let's get into. Uh, you see, look, you always have to bring it back to the Jews. Yes. What's with you? Well, because Christ was a Jew. Okay, being, fair enough. We never Christ left the Jews. Dominating our conversations, and you're, right. you're forgetting who rules everything. Girls. 
<laughs> oh, you oh, you almost broke into Queen Bee. Look at you. <laughs> I well, because you it was it's who run the world, girls. But so I was I was debating on correcting you or not, and you caught it though. All the gears turning. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, are you? Is it even legal for you to sing Queen Bee if you're a Swifty? It's Bay, by the way. Bay. Queen Bay. <laughs> it's not. It, I mean, it's. I thought it was Queen Bee or Bay. I mean, I, I guess you can say Bee, but I think they call themselves like the Bay Hive, like Bay up. Bay, bay. I guess I don't Bay think that's doesn't tr- make sense. I don't sense. think that's right at all. I think they call themselves the Beehive, and I, she's Bay. I don't. And she's the Queen Bee of the Beehive, maybe. or she's Bay. But they're friends. Are they? Yes. Are they frenemies? No. Beyonce came no. to <laughs> the Eras movie premiere. Did she? Yes. And Optics. Taylor. No. Taylor went to the Renaissance premiere in oh, London. Also, that reminds me. Who gives a shit? Me. And Taylor's song, You Need to Calm Down, says, remember, we all wear crowns. So she's saying, stop pitting us against each other. One, Because they're always pitting women against each other. This woman has to be better. But it's like, we're, we're all queens. Mm. Can't all be queens. Yes, you can. It's got to be one queen. No. Above all other queens. No. And that's Beyonce. No. They're equals. I'm not going to... Yeah, somebody walking on the seized? roof. Somebody walking on the roof. They're rappelling down the windows. I don't know what's going on. Oh, God, it's the Pope. <laughs> Damn you, surrogates. <laughs> all right, let's get into some just general... Feedback. Oh no, this is Max unfiltered feedback. So this is on the. Uh, yeah, but this is a double show notes. Double shot. All right, go for it. So this is a a common refrain. Noah said in this episode, it felt like you wanted to just shit on Biden. Honestly, it's fair and warranted in the right setting. Like it or not, you were a progressive voice being shared by unfuckers to the point of being part of your call to bring others into the group. It is your responsibility to consider the weight of your words. Okay. And then a little later on. Noah says, are Biden's failures putting people at risk, like Trump's rhetoric against gays, women, immigrants, and all Democrats? Echoing the concerns of Fox News and their lackeys doesn't push a progressive agenda or bring our fractured party together. It gives credit to their cries about Biden while justifying the actions of an ex-president who sat idly by as his supporters called for the hanging of their vice president. You call for progressives to take over the useless DNC. Love this idea, but you don't give a lot of explanation of how we do this. Should we start letter campaigns to the DNC calling for a realignment of party goals? Do we start writing into progressive candidates pleading for them to run for specific positions? And how long will this process take? Do we forsake Democrat candidates until UNFTR-approved candidates emerge on the presidential ticket? All right. All good stuff. Um, And part of a much larger email. Uh, So, Noah, thank you for such a thoughtful and considered email. Let's just take it uh, one at a time here. I feel like I just wanted to shit on Biden. I I don't, and I didn't, but I, he's the president. And it's okay to say I'm not getting what I wanted from this presidency while he's the president. It doesn't mean we simply go mum, you know, because that's not even, that's not even how people vote. So I, people will make a decision come election time based upon their individual circumstances and what they believe the future holds for them under one presidency or another. They already have a look at both of these guys. And that's why I'm saying the economic stuff is so vital, but also the humanitarian crises that he's allowing to persist are also vital. And it all comes into this really toxic mix that has informed some progressives of the party to say, you know, every time we do our job, 
Every time the Democrats and the establishment Democrats and the moderates say, just fucking do your job and pull the lever for the Democrat and we'll work on your shit in the meantime, you can't have what you, everything that you want. And the progressives do it and we get the Congress that we asked for, like we have the House right now, control of it. You don't have control of the House if not for the progressive caucus. And you get the president that you that you told us we absolutely needed after we failed to to put together a candidate that resonated with people against a felon like Donald Trump in Hillary Clinton, right? So, okay, we're doing our job to the best of our ability every time you say that just trust us, things will get better, and then you don't do it, and then you tank us along the way. So we're going to be critical of you when you get there and then you don't deliver on the promises that you promise us, and we can't simply be quiet because there's something potentially even more horrible coming down the pike. My reason for, for saying that it's important to understand this sentiment among marginalized voters in this country that align with democratic principles and might consider themselves progressive, it's important to understand what they mean when they say Trump versus Biden, to me, there's no difference. Because we can bring up a thousand things to demonstrate, oh boy, there is a big difference. But if the policies that they implement and the things that they do do not make a material difference in the lives of the greater percentage of this country, then we have to listen to their words and take them for what they mean. That there's no material difference in their daily lives between this person and that person. Doesn't have to be demonstrably, factually true on all accounts for it not to be a very real felt sentiment. So we have to be critical because you only get what you want by being critical. The squeaky wheel gets oiled. Are Biden's failures putting people at risk like Trump's rhetoric against gays, women, immigrants, and all Democrats? No and yes. So Biden's failures expose those people to people like Trump, who just because he's not occupying in the White House still exists. And as a matter of fact, his proxies who are living his rhetoric in Congress and in real life and on the street are still doing the bidding of him in creating this toxic rhetoric against marginalized people, whether he's in the office or not. And the way you do that is by leaving these people at risk and not addressing their concerns when you have the opportunity to do it, which is during the Biden administration. So what happened to the to student debt, right? What happened? Nothing. Exactly. I still got it. Affirmative action died, whether I know it was at the Supreme Court, but that's on Biden's watch. And whose fault is that? That's the Democratic establishment's fault for putting up Hillary Clinton against Donald Trump. Sorry, but that's the establishment's fault. You gave us a, a shitty and flawed, overworn, fraught candidate who didn't do the work on the ground to appeal to people in the parts of the country that were hurting the most. They didn't have their ear to the ground. They didn't understand it. We know that now. You want us to do it again and then again after not delivering on the things that you said that we were going to get? Because what we did get was huge. But if you don't feel it, does it exist? Does it matter? Does the fact that all of the Chips and Science Act is going to, is going to pour funds into the high technology business that is going to help you know, restructure this economy and future-proof it so that we don't have to bring in chips from China? Does that matter if you're working at Kroger's? The answer is no. 
the tax code hasn't changed. All the benefits that we got during the pandemic are gone. So when we say, what has Biden accomplished? He's accomplished a lot in a macro sense that is going to future-proof this economy and help us make a small dent against climate change, but not enough. And so you have this, you have this mandate and you have the ability to deliver and you, and you, and you crater and you cave. And we know he, oh, he's, he's a, a creature of the Senate. And so he's always going to look to compromise. Maybe the guy who gave a, the, the eulogy at, you know, when Strom Thurmond died, wasn't the type of guy that we needed. Maybe we did need a Bernie Sanders and people have called out the fact that, and we're going to read another uh, comment soon about how, well, if you had Bernie Sanders, he wasn't going to accomplish anything because he would have had to be a dictator in order to do it. And that's a really good comment as well that we can address. But the bottom line is I'm not shitting on Biden as much as I'm just revealing a very dangerous sentiment because we didn't do what we were, what he had promised to do because he's not Scranton Joe. He's credit card Joe. He's not the guy that rode the train and has a, you know, a bare knuckle brawler mentality that's going to fight for the working class. He says he stands by the unions. He has done some things that will make it easier to organize. And that's all really good stuff. But when it comes down to it, the real Joe Biden is the guy who defended the credit card companies as a senator and allows them to charge usurious rates and protects them from being legislated against. That's fucking Joe Biden. That's always been Joe Biden. So don't, please don't be deluded about who this guy is. Is he the lesser of two evils? Yeah, you betcha. But has he actually made a material difference in the lives of the people that he absolutely needs to go to the polls? Tell me how. Because I don't think he has. I think there's two schools of thought about this and that's why people feel it doesn't sit right with them when you critique Biden I think there's people who feel like well he's he's lesser to evils he's what we have and critiquing him only exposes us to the right taking over because if we're shitting on them and they're shitting on them then it makes it worse I get it so I think there's that side and I think there's the other side which you fall on which is like no how are we ever going to progress if we can't talk openly about whatever candidate we have, regardless if it's, quote, our party or not? So I think there's there's probably never going to be a, a good middle ground word there because mm-hmm. it either sort of hits you wrong or it doesn't. And it, I don't think it speaks to where you lie on, like, the progressive scale. It's just more maybe almost like a defense mechanism of, like, yeah, that scares me to go there because what happens if what you say is true mm-hmm. and then what happens if they get a hold of that rhetoric and they use it against us listen i think a, a, another trump presidency <laughs> is the unforeseen cataclysm is spooky and and it it is like world ending shit and i totally get it and i do not want him to be president and if it was just the two of them and it was the popular vote biden has me I'm doing it all day, every day, and I'm encouraging as many people to turn out as possible. So let's. So now that I've contextualized what I'm trying to say about the Biden administrations by pointing out their failures, let me tell you what tactically and strategically I think needs to happen come November. We do need to infect the DNC, and the way that you do, we take over the Democratic Party rather than the DNC, but take over the party 
by standing up for progressive voices at your local level, at the state legislative level, and Congress if you have the option in front of you. It really does start with the states, and this is where unfuckers can be empowered. If there are if there are candidates out there that are progressive in nature, we have to throw as much support behind them with dollars, sadly, and with our votes and on social media and in protest as we possibly can. It starts at the state level, and that's the part where the Republicans have beat us for the past 50 years. They got it, we didn't, and that's why they're winning in that race. So we got to unwind that, and that will hopefully allow us to carry some momentum in certain congressional districts that are on the edge or that are very blue. So if you are in a very blue district, and, and again, we've given resources before to determine what type of district you live in and where it falls on that spectrum. And you have a progressive candidate running a primary against a Democratic candidate, a la Joe Crowley and AOC, go for the progressive candidate and encourage as many of your friends to do the same as you possibly can. Because there's 100 people in the progressive caucus. Let's say that 60 of them are actually progressives. We need that number to be 200 and we need 200 actual progressives in the congressional caucus. But it starts at the state level. Now, tactically, for the actual the presidential election, if you are in a swing state, you should vote for Joe Biden over Donald Trump. If you are in a very comfortably, very blue state like I am in New York, I think you should put your protest vote out there for somebody like Cornell West because his platform represents what we would like to see in the world, even if he's a terrible candidate and even if he has no shot to win the election. Why? Because Eugene Debs didn't either. And Eugene Debs ran, the last time he ran for president, he ran from jail, right? Which gives us the idea and informs us that this can happen for Trump as well. His best election turnout, he got a million votes, and it was when he was in jail when he got it. He never had a shot of becoming president of the United States because he was running as a socialist. But what he did do was scare the fuck out of the establishment because some of the states that he traveled to started to lean towards socialism. And what did they have to do in return? They had to run Teddy Roosevelt as a progressive. And that's how we got trust busting. And that's how we opened up just the marginal door towards race relations in this country. That's how we opened up conservation for all of the parks. And that's how we began to, and that's how we we fostered greater union protections and greater union memberships in this country. It didn't all happen under TR, but the everything was set forward because you had Eugene Debs there as an incredibly popular figure. But even socialists went to the ballots and voted against him at the time because they too were voting for the lesser of two evils and not voting with their hearts or conscience. But the way that you make change in this country is you scare the fuck out of the establishment. The way you scare the fuck out of the establishment is you make such a significant dent in important states for these protest choices that stand for the things that we believe in, that they take us, that they they look at and they say, oh shit, we need to play our cards right. That's why Bernie was so vital. That's why we went from two progressives in the in the caucus to to a hundred is because of the Bernie movement. But there's like I said in the in the in like I said in that episode, I we cannot ascribe to the great man theory any longer and hold a particular person up there. It's not going to be AOC, it's not going to be Bernie Sanders, and if we build the campaign that way, we're going to fail. That's how the Republicans have beat us because they don't have a great man. Donald Trump is is a complete outlier. 
the real ascent of the Republican Party in the face of all of the social opposition and winds of change that were going their way, the reason they were able to maintain such control in this country over the last 50 years is because they didn't have a great man. They had a great theory and they had a great promise, which is if the top does well, you'll all do well. We need to defend liberty and democracy and freedoms and we need to fight terrorism here and abroad and we need to beat back all of the the, the changes that are turning us into a, a pussy nation and we're going we're gonna to be strong and we're going to be independent and we're going to have that frontier spirit and we're going to raise the fucking flag and we're going to talk about Jesus Christ. And it didn't matter who was in that fucking seat. Right now, you've got a guy who has a cult of personality and has the momentum of that party that's been built up over the last 50 years that the most improbable person on fucking planet Earth somehow represents strength and Jesus Christ. That's how good their propaganda campaign has been and how bad ours has been. That's how you take over the party. I also think the Republicans were able to do that because anyone they put in power was a figurehead mm -hmm. because their great man is actually a great network of scary shadow figures. Absolutely. So it doesn't matter who's sitting there because they'll do and say what they tell them to. You bet. When they tell them to. You bet. Ronald Reagan was still the closest thing that they have to the great man. And most of the policies that were prescriptive under Reagan would be considered liberal today. I mean, I mean yeah. that's how far the pendulum is swung. It's wild. There's a TikTok account that every day it'll just be like, it's January 17th, Ronald Reagan is still dead with a different song. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh, Anders B said, my question is, how do you rationalize this decision to people? I'm thinking specifically about like a David Pakman, who equate any vote not for Biden is by proxy a vote for Trump. I understand this reasoning, but very much disagree with it. I want to be able to feel free to vote for the candidate that most represents my ideals and values. I don't want to feel forced into voting for Biden again, like in the last election. I would love to know your take on this. Well, I think I just gave it to you, <laughs> right? Uh, so I should have read both of those comments before going into my diatribe because that's how that's how I rationalize this, is that I understand. I'm, I'm not a fool. I understand that a Cornell West vote is a protest vote. But that's the venue you have to protest. Now, you should also protest in the streets. <laughs> you know, like I said, the squeaky wheel gets oiled. Protest actually does create change in this Isn't country. Isn't it the squeaky wheel gets the grease? Probably. Oh, my God. Yes, 99. Yes. Jeez, Max, where do you get this from? What the hell? <laughs> my whole life, though, I've said the squeaky wheel gets oiled. Mm, it's a, it, I it, think that might be a family thing. That might be from my dad. It's definitely like a more eloquent way than like the squeaky wheel gets the grease but the squeaky I, wheel gets the grease feels better oh you think yeah I, th I mean yours to me is a more proper sentence I think squeak and grease it just it, like, it, like visually I, I see it also yeah it feels better and it's like more like slangy I wonder if that's just a my dad thing there's certain things I say that are that are just so him interesting I, I'm just sorry I was just thinking I thought maybe I got it wrong no, I bet you're right. She is. Oh, let us know. Yeah, I did. <laughs> All right, let's get into some general feedback. This is from the younger PDX Squatch, who said, first, something that we never responded to. PDX is Portland, Oregon. Ar Oregon. I think I, did I say it right? Oregon? You did, actually. Oregon. It came naturally. 
PDX Squash lost a little respect for you not knowing that, but I forgive you for being an East Coaster. Yeah, I didn't know PDX was the, uh, is it, what is that, for the airport? I guess. Hmm. I okay. only know, I know uh, ours, <laughs> and I know... Um, Laga and Jifka. Yeah, and then uh, Burlington, BVT. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, You're such a hippie. <laughs> uh, no, my sister just lives in Vermont. It's like the only airport. You're a hippie. Sure. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know the abbreviation. LAX. For the LAX. LAX. <laughs> uh, S. I think S D A. San Diego. Okay. I'm just going off my recent trips. Mm-hmm. I flew into Portland, Maine. Don't know what their I airport is. I think M D W is Midway in Chicago. Yes, I think it's. And, uh, uh, and don't forget about O'Hare. But I don't because uh, I know what everything O'Hare about. I, I know everything about Chicago. What is it? O H A or is it C H I? I have no idea. Chicago. The Bean. <laughs> they haven't shown the Bean once. What are you talking about? In, in the Chicago you talking about series. this fucking show again? You brought up Chicago. It's an important place in this country. It's like my and new it's hometown. bigger than this. Oh, my God. I know all the places. I know about... Uh, oh. uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Shout out to Lombard, Illinois. Where's that? It's outside of Chicago. Okay. All right. Cool. It's where my best friend lives. Oh, hi. Lombard. So uh, we'll, we should go visit him. Will you take me? Sure. Thank you. You have to take my sister and my roommate. <laughs> my God. I don't know if my dad's going to want to come. He does watch. <laughs> um, I'm just imagining that if you chaperoned a trip for me and my sister and my roommate. You just gawk at some buildings. Yeah, I'm literally. Ah. Like, oh my God, Voight killed that man here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, back to, to Argon. On a somewhat related note is a light criticism, somewhat mollified by the recent 2024 in Bizarro America episode. So I guess this is less general feedback, but... Over the past six months, UNFTR has been a bit hit or miss with me, and with others that I've turned on to the podcast. Oh, they're all, they have a group chat, and they're shit-talking us. <laughs> I finally figured out what I think it is with the wrap-up of the Israel-Palestine series. Some have made comments that they really like the episodes where you're passionate and angry, and I would agree with them wholeheartedly. However, I'd noticed that beyond the passion and anger, I really resonate with the point you were making when you have that focus, more so than in other episodes. Quote, this is what you get is not the same as this is what you deserve, is a powerful point to bring to the Israel-Palestine series, and one that I strongly agree with as the context of the rest of my discussions on the conflict. On the other side, the Socialism series springs to mind, as I think you lost a little of your own plot, and I struggled to find a wider point or argument. Whoa. That was yeah. Sirens went off in the yeah. background after that. After that mic drop from the younger PDX Squatch. Um, what is Squatch? Sasquatch? I don't know. Now we have to ask them. I guess so. Are you? Are you big people? <laughs> are you big giant people that wander in the uh, in the, in the forest there in Aragon? I'm pro Sasquatch. Yeah, absolutely. And Bigfoot. Yeah, why not? I believe in them. Totally. Mothman. Um, the Jersey Devil. Ooh. Well. Flatwoods Monster. Montauk Monster? I don't know that one. That's the guy that washed up on the shores of Montauk. It was a man? These are all cryptids. We don't know. Oh. We don't know. It was a beast. Oh. Montauk Monster. It was probably just like, a, up. like Oof, a big scary. Italian guy. <laughs> wow. I um, mean, I'm just talking about the, the contingency of or constituency of the island. Mm-hmm. Hey, oh yeah, out there in Long Island. Yeah. Forget about Those it. Those people. Yeah, look at this fucking thing washed up on the shore. <laughs> yeah, he's Holy shit. <laughs> he's Tony <laughs> Soprano. He's swimming with the fishes. Oh, man. Um, did I lose the plot? 
yeah, I was on a little bit of a soul searching journey that, well, you know what I realized, younger PDX Squatch, is that I was staking a lot of modern day claims in historical terms. Historical. Without really understanding what I was talking about. The socialism series is, you know, I was talking to Roger about like uh, biblical references and Shakespeare and, you know, how many things like literary references that I missed in my life by not really ever having uh, a relationship with the Bible. Like if you haven't read Shakespeare, you don't realize how many phrases actually came from Shakespeare's work, things like that. There was a lot of things that I referenced that I knew peripherally, but I'd never really studied the closely. <laughs> no and room at like the end. Like the end is full. Yeah, the, the, no, the room no room at the, at the end. end. You, did you tell them about that? Yeah, I did. Okay. Um, but there's, so there's a lot that I that I reference. So I'm holding this idea out there that democratic socialism and or social democracy, not and or, but or social democracy, are paths forward for this nation without really understanding how they evolved, what the origins of it were, who the progenitors were, where it went wrong along the way, beyond just a, you know, a passing historical note of, you know, in in my own studies, you know, whether it was in college or reading. And I felt like I was doing unfuckers a disservice by really not understanding it. And I wanted to go on the journey together. So I actually surprised at how much I personally now reference what I learned in the socialism series when I'm putting together work today. And I'm so glad that I went on the journey. Should it have been uh, with my indoor voice and just like shit that I was reading along the way? Maybe. I don't Maybe. Think so. They could have, I could have lost the plot there along the way. The Israel Palestine series, I think, was mission critical. And I had to, I had to put everything else aside to dig into it because um, that, that to me is like, crisis oriented you got to get this shit right because we're tearing ourselves apart over it when we talk about something you know in the social sciences i i I do think that it's incumbent upon us as social commentators and political commentators to do that type of historical work and and have a and and freshen up our background on it because it's been so useful to me it really has Um, learning doesn't always have to have a point yeah you could just learn yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I needed to learn on everybody's time. And I'm dime, sure. I, I think you're being harsh on yourself. But I, but I get it because I felt like I was losing the plot along the way, but I became so obsessed with it. It's like, well, I started. I have to finish this now. You know, I, there was a point I remember where I got to like Perdone and I was like, I'm good. <laughs> but it's like, I, I really need to see the story. And I'm so glad that I did because I wound up being probably even more inspired by Rosa Luxemburg. And if I, you know, stopped short of getting to that period in time, it would have been, you know, I would have done myself a disservice. But at any rate, the channeling anger thing is interesting. There's passion and then there's anger and then there's just there's just spewing in order to, you know, spew. I, I think you all know me well enough that if I'm if I'm really going off on something that it that it's that it's bothering me. What you don't know is what you can't see, which is the stuff that uh, 99 points of cutting and then uh, corrects me afterwards. So the stuff that actually makes it through is still filtered in a way uh, to make sure that I I, I don't uh, well, you know, just end my entire career. It's not that you're saying cancelable <laughs> things. It's just sometimes you just... I have bad takes. You, it's not even that. Like Sometimes you're just yelling in the moment <laughs> and it's not useful to anyone but you to get it out. <laughs> 
and but it, the scripted the scripted stuff when I'm making like a real like and when I'm being sometimes even when it's scripted and I've read it and I've reread it and I've edited it and I've put it down and then I'm reading it in the studio I, and I get agitated again all over again because it's like this is fucking important god damn it I mean there's you know? a vein bulging in his neck right now yeah Whew. anyway um but I do feel like if you allowed me that learning journey in 23, that in 24, especially because it's an election year, that it's important for me to be focused going forward. So, yeah, so agreed on all points. Now, let's get into what Knutson said, because we have a call out for unfuckers who would like to get in touch with Knutson to see how they can support him. Here's, here's a great case in point. This may not matter to anybody outside of, of Winnebago County in Wisconsin, Okay. But Knutson said, good news, I'm on the April ballot for Winnebago County Board District 16. Winnebago County is just south of Outagamie. The center of Outagamie is Appleton, and Winnebago's is Oshkosh. Oshkosh bagosh. One time I was wearing Oshkosh bagosh overalls as a kid, and mm-hmm. my substitute teacher asked me if that was my name. Oh. I was like, no. That's really dumb. Absolutely not. <laughs> and also my name is adorable. fucking Oshkosh. I'm thinking of you in Oshkosh. Oh, Activists in Oshkosh and Appleton have a history of cross-pollinating each other. That's how I know Alex over at McFleshman's, Nettie came down, and the rest is unfucking history. But anyway, I do have an opponent for the seat, an unknown uh, University of Wisconsin Oshkosh student who apparently worked with the local Republican Party to get his papers through in the last hours of the last day. To do so, it won't be easy for either of us to earn the seat. Exciting times, and a damn good time to be an unfucker. If y'all want to chat about this unfucker's candidacies, I could use any and all media mentions and would relish the chance. Feel free to reach out on my cell, 920-216-7746. So here's the deal. You asked how we take it over. It starts in Winnebago County, in District 16, with somebody like Bob Knutson. You want to support somebody in a district... That means nothing in your personal life, but you know that a really good person is doing the work at the ground level to make a change and make a difference in this country. Support Bob Knutson. His cell is 920-216-7746. He put that out there so that we can mention it. If you want to get in touch with him, fuck it, man. Call this guy and say, how can I help? Any little bit is going to help. And for the love of God, if you live in Winnebago County, your job is to turn out for this election and ensure that our man Knutson gets that seat. Put up some flyers. Do it. Yeah, help him out. If you're in Wisconsin in general, take a day trip. Go there. Stand on the street corner like Nettie and hold up a sign that just says Knutson. Where are you? Actually, you probably want to spell it right so that they yeah. know what it's about when you get there. But I applaud you. Bob Knutson for doing this, and this is exactly how we take it over. Talk about taking matters into your own hand to make a difference. Wonderful. Now, are we getting into the harsh stuff? Yeah, we're going over yeah, to social. Here we go. Which so Robert C says it says you were a top fan on Facebook. Yay. Are you a top fan of critiquing us? Because I don't Oh, is this not nice? Uh it, it, I was just confused, Robert. Explain yourself. So they said I tried to find the so-called debate. So-called? Are you starting out with so-called? It's so mean. <laughs> oh, this so-called debate. Like, it didn't happen. It was. <laughs> the so-called debate of the century between Crystal, Kyle, and Brianna on Biden. And I'm unsure I saw the actual debate because it sounded like it might be behind a paywall. I shared the link. Yeah, I think it's on I think it's on YouTube. Um, it definitely is. You can, can see it on Secular Talk 
and you can see it on Bad Faith. Yeah, I and they're can both reply free. to his comment. I'll okay. give him the link. But if, if you hear this also, we did share it. So what I did see convinced me more than ever, progressives just enjoy shitting in their pants. What? I think it all starts out warm and wonderful, but quickly gets cold, smelly, and trumpy. <laughs> the reason the arc of the moral universe is so damn long is because progressives are all protest votes or don't get out to vote at all. You won't do the hard work. You just create podcasts, paywalls, and bitch. Hmm. Enjoy being hoisted by your Cornell West and Marianne Williamson petard. I'll be curious to hear what it's like being pulled underwater by your protest votes compared to treading water. At least the smell will go away as you drown in fascism. <laughs> you do know how representative democracy and laws get passed, right? You make it sound like Bernie would have gotten anything done without being a dictator. Oh, I guess go. that's okay so long as it's your dictator. Yeah, that's right. I want my dictator in charge. I mean, isn't, doesn't everyone feel that way? Yes, of course. We need a benevolent dictator to take over. Um, you and spelled Cornell West wrong. The job. Uh, and apparently, uh, punctuation, not all that important to you. But that's okay. Don't be mean. I'm sorry. Well, it... it I think Robert's a fan. I think Robert's just upset. No, I get it. Listen, I, I completely get it. And hopefully my diatribe before even clarified some of how I feel about protest votes and the reason for them. And, and there's a time and a place. <laughs> I think Robert's still not going to like it. No, he's probably not. That's okay. Um, I'll be... <laughs> I do like this. Uh, I, I do. I, unfuckers are clever. I just, I think it's fun. I'm curious to hear what it's like being pulled underwater by your protest votes compared to treading water. At least the smell will go away as you drown in fascism. I do know how representative democracy works and how laws get passed. And I'm also keenly aware that there are 50 states and Nifty. that uh, they're very, very different from one another, uh, which is why I'm a big advocate for getting things done at uh, state legislative level. Uh, and for fighting for certain congressional districts and for filling up the Progressive Caucus. It's why I voted for Joe Biden the last time, okay? And if, again, this time, because we've had four years of Joe Biden and he exceeded my expectations on a macro level, but failed miserably on a lot of the stuff that he said he was going to do, specifically to woo over and win over progressives, uh, he is not going to get my vote in a very safe and comfortable blue state because protest votes are how you demonstrate to the establishment what it is that you actually want. 99? <laughs> I'm raising my hand. What if I tell you I'm still scared to protest vote? What if, I, what if I'm scared to do it? Then your vote is your vote. You follow your heart. If, the fear of the fascist turn under a Trump... I'm terrified. I'm absolutely terrified. But should I not say what's happening in front of us? For, should we all just be quiet and then assume that everything's going to be all right? When you don't call the things that when you don't call out the bad stuff that your person who's in power at this moment is doing, all you do is make everybody feel like, hey, I guess everything's going to be OK. The other people will take care of this vote. Like you need to be angry. And the way that you get involved is by is by being informed and getting upset and and asking for change. I agree. I just we have so many places in New York specifically that are red. All of Long Island is red. Staten Island is red. So many of the upstate counties are red. Yeah. So is it that far out of reach that one day we turn red? The state? It is increasingly out of reach year after year after year. And the reason for that is because of the... So when I lived in New York City, 
I want to say the Democrat to Republican, uh, Democrat, Democrats outvoted Republicans something like eight to one. And now it's something like 25 to one. Okay. Uh, so the pr- plurality increases there. With the rest of the state, well, like, again, a lot of the counties upstate, and uh, I think one of the two counties on Long Island went for uh, Barack Obama. And then they will go back and forth. So the rest of the state is purple, but the numbers coming out of New York City are so huge that it's we're in no danger of going the other way. They're just so much louder and... They have their flags and their fucking cars and houses dedicated to him that it makes it they if they feel like there are more of them sometimes. When I ran for office years and years and years ago, I had a lot of signs up. This is more than campaign signs. No, no, no. So it, people decorating their fucking life size stat. Not exaggerating. You can Google Trump House New York and find a bunch. Oh, yeah. Uh, my point is that the the person who was really in charge of the place that I was running uh, very snarkily said to me, signs don't vote. <laughs> and that person was absolutely right because it was the quieter part of the other people that, look, I'm not putting, I didn't put a Biden sign out on my lawn, but I wasn't missing that election. You know, we talk about the silent minority or the silent majority or whatever it is. Most of the people that are putting out big, um, you know, tributes to Donald Trump are fanatical. And that's why they get so much attention. And there's a there's a kind of a Me Too cultural aspect to that as well, where it's like, you know, if you're in an area, you know, we all see pockets like that where people different Me Too. Yeah. Yeah. The original Me Too. Um, You you know, there's a kind of a groundswell of support and it's like fun to be part of a thing like I knew. I knew so many people that would go on those stupid fucking Trump boat rides and expeditions like everybody like taking their boats out with big trump flags and they mm. had their boat parades and stuff like that i knew tons of people that were on they're, those boats they're still doing it yeah all over my social media and it didn't train matter. station people it did it didn't matter an informed electorate makes better choices and that's how we got biden the first time against the fascist that's how you'll get biden the second time if that's what you want is is not by burying things and just pretending everything's okay, but by getting involved and and being active in the process and being vocal. What you do when you get into the booth is what you do. But up until that point, you you know, if you are a Democrat and you criticize Biden, do you really think you're changing anybody's fucking mind on the Democratic line? Absolutely not. Do you think that the words that you say are going to make somebody decide to stay home on election day? No. Uh, I, there are people who are ambivalent that I think you can easily, not easily, like not like they're dumb and you sway them, but some people who are just apolitical. Mm-hmm. They People who lean more left than right, but don't care. I think you can convince them to vote a certain way, but you could probably easily convince them to not vote a certain way if you're convincing them to vote at all. Does that track? Do I don't understand? think, I think people get out the vote when they are animated period end of story i don't think that if uh somebody is in your life is just always carping and talking about and pressuring you to vote a certain way that you're gonna be more inspired to to go vote i mean more like oh i have a friend who oh do politics and i'm like i think if i we're not close enough but if we were closer i feel like i could convince them that 
my rights are important and as a woman who knows what could happen to me and his partner and blah blah blah. I don't blah, think blah. so. No? You don't think I could convince them to vote? You know, voter turnout in this country is something in the order of like 35%. That's sick. That is sick. And, and it should be fucking legal, it's, uh, mandatory. It's how you see yourself in the mix. Nobody votes for other people. They don't vote for animals. They don't vote for the planet. They don't oh, vote. I thought you right? were literally voting for an animal. And I was like, that's, right? is that an option? They, they, they don't do it. They do it for themselves. The one overriding superseding issue is abortion. Not because men are going to turn out because they want to defend a woman's right to choose. I don't believe that a man is going to go to a poll, to the polls, and protect a woman's right to choose if they weren't already going to the polls. But I do think that women who are affected by it and are like, whoa, this has gone too far. This is some, this is, this is some like 50 shit here will go because it affects them directly. So it's it's bigger, but it's still about them. Nobody votes unless they like local elections. How many times can you honestly say you voted? I'm talking to the unfucking audience in a local election. How about a local special election? You are either if you vote all the time, you are a party disciplined person who goes out and will do the thing for the party that you believe represents you, and you are a habitual voter, it is inculcated into you, and you are one of the 25% that will always, always, always turn out. If you have voted in a local election, it means that there's probably somebody you know running, somebody that you know and hate running, and you're voting against them, or your taxes are about to go up, and you're voting against that. Or somebody's talking about the school board and banning books or, you know, introducing a new COVID policy. And you're such a fucking lunatic that you're like, I want to vote against that. And I or I want to ban books. and I'm going to show up and I'm going to vote in my very first school board election. And that's how you get politicians like Marjorie fucking Taylor Greene, who never did, was active in politics until they figured out that they could be, you know, uh, they could be a celebrity in politics. People vote in their own interests. So if I sit here and criticize Biden kingdom come it's not going to determine whether you go out and vote what will determine whether you go out and vote is if you are empowered and informed enough to understand the difference between not fascism and democracy but can i put food on my table tomorrow or not tim said over on instagram when it comes to economic issues why nobody is talking about the elephant in the room oh i love this comment so much Will you go on Instagram and tell Tim that I loved his comment so much? Yes. Demand for infinite growth. Maybe I'm ignorant to understand all the intricacies of the modern economy, but I'm observant enough to know how it affects day-to-day lives. And in my opinion, the fact that companies are supposed to grow infinitely looks ridiculous and unrealistic. From an engineer perspective, I would call it a huge flaw of the design. In fact, I strongly believe that this is one of the primary reasons we're experiencing all these layoffs and economic downturns. Unrealistic expectations from companies. It's just impossible. Only one thing grows infinitely, cancer. But even it has its end when it host, when its host dies. Hell, even some theories claim that even the universe is not infinite. Why can't we have a more realistic blueprint? Okay. Tim offers a book that I have not read. Uh, it's called Lean Logic, A Dictionary for the Future and How to Survive It, a book by David Fleming, Sean Chamberlain, and Jonathan Porritt. I think we can link that, right? Yeah. Okay. So my youngest 
is required to read a book called Naked Economics. And it's basically just, it's a narrative form of economics to introduce In high students. school? Yeah. To introduce students to the concepts of economics and how it affects your, your world. Wow. We didn't learn, we all we learned, I mean, I did take like a dumb class my senior year. We learned how to uh, write checks. That was our economics. Probably way more useful and fundamental than whatever she's learning in this I don't economics. know if that's true. I mean, I guess so, but it's I didn't know anything. Because it shows you, it, it talks about how the world works and it raises a lot of questions in her mind that have inspired conversations, which is really cool. Is the economist uh, Chicago school acolyte? Um, Economist, is that what he said? The economist, the yes. teacher. Mm-hmm. So when or we, the the author of the book. Not the, the author her. of the book is I I think actually pretty middle of the road, not taking stances, laying out concepts and theories, and say, well, this is what this says, and this is okay. what this. Okay, I think that's good. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a fan of the the whole process because you have to have the. You can't start getting into how you feel about things and different theories until you understand the underlying theories of it, which is really good. Also, if you go, you know, a lot of your majors in college want you to take an economics class. Yeah. And if you don't know what you're talking about, it's very confusing and math. (laughs) Now, I should say that she fucking hates this class. Oh, okay. Um, Naturally. But I did have an opportunity to ask um, the professor in uh, Back to School Night. I think he's just a teacher. You don't have to elevate him. The teacher. Um, he's a professor. He's a high school Who teacher. He, uh, no, hey, oh. I didn't mean that. Oh. I'm just saying professors what earn the their fuck? title. 99. He's Mr. High School. He Maybe could be he's a professor. taught at the collegiate level before. That's true. But in the classroom, he's an if, old, if he's he an made older me call him professor, back to this. if he made me call him professor in high school, I would have been like, I'm not doing that. No, he's just a mister. Yeah. But still. Um, a mister. He uh, is a Hayek acolyte okay personally great <laughs> so um but none of that seems to bleed through as far as i can tell mm, which is yet. fine you're gonna get little he's like little notes on her paper <laughs> <laughs> this is wrong this is wrong yeah. this is wrong um so you should write her this, papers for her <laughs> I, if if i wanted to fail I, it would be really funny i i would enjoy that put it through chat gpt and it'll <laughs> rewrite it like a kid did it and it'll be fine so the the idea of expansion and infinite growth actually came up bizarrely in a conversation at the dinner table two nights ago because it was something that she had read in the book because she was running different passages by me because she had to present on something. She's like, what do you think of this concept? What do you think of that concept? So we were talking through some things and it was kind of neat. So I, I had been just thinking about this, which is which is fun. But this idea of infinite growth, what, what I can't remember which episode it was recently, but... Essentially, the population, we, the Earth's population is projected to Probably peak. the Montreal Protocol? Might, yeah, it might have been. Yeah. The world's population is, is projected to peak, I think, around 2065 at 9.7 billion people, at which point, based upon birth rates in developed nations, it's going to decline after that. And the question then becomes, how fast will it decline? Because they're trying to overlay climate data with that. Um, because there's going to be parts of the world that are completely uninhabitable. And it does get back to that point. Now, okay, so this is a, um, the, the, the prospect of infinite growth not being possible is Malthusian. So we've covered Malthus before as the, the economic theory that said that you can't, you can't keep expanding. And yet we, through capitalism, figured out a way to do that through innovation, efficiency of design, 
And that gets into Schumpeter's creative destruction, where the next new thing puts the other thing out of business, but it creates new jobs and new efficiencies, and that's how the whole thing stays together. So we've actually gone through a nice little journey to talk about the prospect of, of finite versus infinite growth. And now we're finally, I think, coming to a stage where infinite growth for the planet will not be possible. And we will actually, there are people listening to this that will live through the very beginning of the decline and might even see pieces of the precipitous decline in population in the global south as we create uh, refugee crises and migrant crises. Uh, because we're, there will be parts of the planet that are completely uninhabitable and we won't have the resources to fit them in the rest of it. I mean, this is very real, real stuff that people are modeling right now and it's going to be difficult. But when it comes to corporate America, I think Tim is hitting it right on the head that it is bad engineering to have to strive for growth. And it is this idea, it's a Milton Friedman idea that the only, the only incentive that a company has to exist, the only reason for being is to turn a profit and that short-term investment strategies and the tax code that we have in particular, the way it lines up is it incentivizes short-term gains and the markets themselves incentivize short-term gains, which means you're always looking to grow, which is why you see a company like, excuse me, Blackwater the other day, for example, laid off 3% of its entire workforce globally, cutting 600 jobs, boom, in an instant, right? but announced that by the end of this year, they will have re-employed more than that. So they're cutting 600 today, but they're probably adding 1,000 throughout the year because of creative destruction. They're going to retire people from a certain area of their business lines and reinvent them in, in different areas. And by the way, they're going to have a less of a focus on environmental sustainability and governance companies and ESG. So that's how they're going to uh, go forward. They're going to start to invest in shittier things. So fuck you, Larry Fink. Fuck you, BlackRock. And, um, and there you go. But this idea of infinite growth is so toxic to our economy and to the corporate structures because it prevents you from reinvesting in things that actually do good or saying, maybe I don't need to lay those people off. Maybe I could put them through extensive long-term retraining because I don't need to achieve the same profit uh, metric. You know, I don't need to grow my profit metric you know, quarter over quarter over quarter ad infinitum. It's a very, very bad policy, but it is also, it's supported by the investment community, it's supported by the tax code, and it's supported by this, this notion, this very capitalist notion that is a modern construct of Adam Smith's theories that was developed in the Chicago School, that a corporation exists solely to produce a benefit for shareholders without envisioning what it means for stakeholders in general. Um, so yes, Tim V, you're hitting on a very, very important idea that is happening now that you're you're contemplating at maybe the most important time in hum in recorded human history, because we are actually going to witness at some point the end of infinite growth. It's cool stuff. The layoffs are really scary to me. I mean, and yet we're at full employment. But what do those jobs really look like? Not great. Google's laid off like what fucking a zillion people yeah, in yeah. every department, even their sales teams, mm -hmm. which just means everybody who's still working there is going to get restructured, reorged, and then pick up someone else's job for less money, I'm sure, or the same amount of money. I, I So you're hitting on, on a, a great corollary, and it's something I think we should re-explore um, from our creative destruction episode. We did the creative destruction episode before ChatGPT. 
And now we're seeing how the tech companies are beginning to incorporate artificial intelligence into not just their product designs, but their mentality, to your point. And the tech companies are going to be offloading a tremendous amount of people and will be supplementing with artificial intelligence. And they'll be deploying that technology through multiple sectors so that other companies can gain those efficiencies and lay people off. It will be interesting to see. You can all, you can almost see, so, okay, here, here, this is a great discussion because the idea there is just like coming out of the industrial revolution when we created machines to take the place of child labor and overtime and working weekends and nights and multiple shifts, right? People said that's going to be the end of capitalism and the end of the economy. They're going to they're going to crush the economy because these people will be out of work. They won't be able to feed these themselves. Children. Blah blah blah. What are we going to do? Right, these children. What are we going to do? Send them to school. So, but it never happened because of the concept of creative destruction, and efficiencies have usually created new types of jobs. And the promise there was, we'll get more time and more leisure. We'll be able to have healthier, more productive, longer lives, and and that we can work less, get paid enough to live, and retire comfortably. Just right. Some of those happened. Some happened. We got longer lives, but we got longer, sicker lives, and longer lives to work. And we're working much longer. That's I, right. I saw something the other day that said like. The retirement age doesn't make sense because that was working off when the median like age or how did it phrase? Right, the life expectancy was much Yeah, much exactly. Shorter. So now it's like we should really be retiring at like 40 if we're going to enjoy the rest of our lives. Oh, you're saying that the retirement age was calculated when our life expectancy was longer. I don't under I didn't I now I'm confused, but Okay. It said, wait, let me I know that didn't make sense, but let me think. The retirement age is whatever. So it was calculated. I don't know. I'm now, I don't, now I'm confused. Well, they want to push back the retirement age because, quote unquote, people are living maybe longer. Maybe that. Okay. Right? So maybe that's But involved. that's just so they can drain, you know, resources from Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. and you know, Yeah. Treasury. I think this was talking about, like, actually enjoying our lives. That's fair. Yes. Yes. And like the middle of your life is X. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't know. <laughs> I'm. This is what happens when you quote like something you've read on Instagram. Well, <laughs> you I don't know, know what you're talking about. I know my relatives in Canada. Pretty, I'm glad you know them. Pretty much all retired. I'm talking about my parents' generation. They all retired much, much, much earlier than most people that I know in the United States. What industry though? But I don't know. Um... Agriculture, okay, manufacturing, civil service. Well, I wasn't sure, like, if they were, you know, a like, because we have a Mountie, yeah, in relation. So yeah. I'm like, I don't know if they, yeah, if well, civil service is part of it. Yeah, because um, like, yeah, if I was a cop, I would fucking work my ass off and retire at forty. I'm like, could do it. Mm -hmm. if you got that? That's mm -hmm. what I mean. It set you up for yeah. it. I'm gonna bang out after my twenty because I got my three highest years with overtime coming in. I'm gonna make about two hundred k in pension and retirement. Then I go to get a private security job down in North Carolina. That's what my grandma's That's boyfriend every did. Every cop from New York. So, right yeah, there. my grandma's boyfriend. That's yeah. literally what he talked like, and he would go, yeah. "How do you call it?" That would he would say that all the time. <laughs> what do you, the, the how do you call it? <laughs> How do you call it? How do you call it? Like, what, what do you call it? Uh, more, no, it was more like grub. Like, yeah, how do you, do you call, call it? it? And he also, he would say to me, he would tell me the same story every time I saw him. 
and he would say, um, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And so that's like a triggering statement. And now Taylor Swift has it in one of her songs. And I'm like, Taylor, were you talking to Charlie? Mm. <laughs> I think I can name him. I don't know that there's there's probably a lot of men in their 90s named Charlie. I think most young actors do a very poor job with the New York accent. Absolutely. It's like a travesty. Because it's a caricature. Yeah. Once in a you while. You know who's you, the worst? Who? Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm, I don't think he's a good actor. I don't either. Have we ever talked about that? I don't know. <gasps> oh, my God. I also think he's not that hot. Okay, I know it's well, a different thing, but I, women, I mean, I know he yeah. was like a cutie, yeah. but I think he kind of looks weird now. Like his face looks look like, like an owl. He's looking a little jammed up right now. Yeah. But like a also, I don't think he's a good actor. <gasps> I think he's just kind of silly. He's kind of silly. I don't everything. believe I don't. I haven't bought him in a, any role since Gilbert Grape. Don't say that. Or Basketball Diaries. <laughs> that era. That era. Leo to me. The the beach, the beach. Basketball Diaries and Gilbert. What Grape. What about Romeo and Juliet? Didn't like it. Well, didn't yeah, it was care. bad. Yeah, but it's bad. So I didn't have to buy him or not. The movie stunk so much. It's a Baz Luhrmann. Wasn't it? Was it Baz Luhrmann? Was it Luhrmann? Baz I think so. Also, I don't enjoy Baz Luhrmann films. Yeah, I think that makes Just sense saying. for you. Yeah. But I'm a big musical theater guy. I love musical theater. And also, I don't like Baz His Luhrmann. His translations are hallucinogenic in quality, where they aim to be. Like, yeah, I wish his hand wasn't guiding the Elvis movie, because that young man's performance was so fucking transformative. I didn't see it. It was so good. But it made my sister an Elvis fan. So, oh my God. I mean, not it, a real one, but. His performance, I can't say enough about that performance. It was fucking amazing. And Tom Hanks couldn't have been worse. So, there, <laughs> I, Comedy Bang Bang, they were doing their best of series. And it's usually Scott Arkman, the host, and Paul F. Tompkins, because they're like best friends. And the, the conceit of Comedy Bang Bang is like, he has a, like a real an actor comedian what a musician on he interviews them and then improv comedians come on and play characters so apparently paul f tompkins debuted a character based off of tom hanks's character oh god and i i didn't know anything about it but i, I was crying listening to them being like why is he doing a dutch accent <laughs> this guy was american like uh, mr presley what is that that's mr presley that's what yeah, his impression sounds bizarre. like it's so funny it was so bad and boz lerman's treatment of it like there were so many unbelievable moments watching him perform that he then turned into hallucinogenic moments where it's just like, hold the fucking camera still for five more minutes, please. This kid's killing it out there. And there isn't there this, the Priscilla movie coming out too? I think it's out. Okay. So that's, um, that's well, one I'm of those. I'm interested in that because that's Sofia Coppola. Right. That's one of those dual. I'm trying to think of ants in a bug's life coming out at the same time. Wyatt Earp and Tombstone being in production at the same time. Right. I mean, that, that's it's it's a real thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I wonder this one. What do they call that? Uh, parallel thought. Thank you. But this is this is more like, oh, I heard they're doing an Elvis movie. We have to do one too. Like that's usually what it is more than anything. They try to beat them uh, to I market. I think Sophia Coppola had that in. In this one, on paper, I'll, for a I'll while. give this one a like a pass. I mean, yeah. they could have been from the other side of like they heard she had it in production. And they want to market with an Elvis movie first, but what is it? The Prestige, and there's another one that's like it. Yeah, that just these same movies come out in the same year. And I always get those confused because I think one of them is Paul Thomas Anderson, right? That was like his, like that's how he exploded on the scene. 
the other and so one of them was with Christian Bale and I think Hugh Jackman and David Bowie's in it, right? Um shit. And now I can't the Illusionist. Remember and the Illusionist. Who's in the Illusionist? Edward Norton and Jessica Biel. Right, 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 right. And Paul Giamatti. Yes, yeah, so unbelievable cast on both sides. The Prestige for me, I love The Prestige. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was great. Anyway. Yeah, Fazler. <laughs> so, all right, let's... Uh, now I'm, I have the the scene with Jim Broadbent in stuck in my head from Moulin Rouge. <laughs> oh, boy, I did not like that movie. Good Lord. What do you mean? You didn't love it when <laughs> Ewan McGregor sang? Oh, very bad, very bad. Let's go to coffee donations. Here's what you need to know about the YouTube comments. You can see them for yourselves, <laughs> and everybody is just shitting all over me. Keynes wasn't even an economist, but I guess you, you have to read Keith W's. It's YouTube so has ad revenue mean. for everyone. Yeah, I see you have no evidence to the contrary. This is Keith W. Just blather. The tax plan worked. Tax revenue from eighty-one to eighty-eight more than tripled. Oh my god. The government had more money than ever, and they spent it. You're ignorant of the facts. Get on Gov website website. (laughs) for tax revenue. Prove me wrong. Good Good luck. luck. Okay, I'll save that for another day. Anyway, (sighs) let's get to the coffee donations and thank yous. We have the Ugandan who bought us three coffees and said, Max 99, Manny Faces. Warm regards for 2024. Thank you for yet another year of enlarging my brain circuitry. Max, I've truly enjoyed your conversation with the Reverend Roger Williams. Thank you for introducing him to us. Since I'm still processing many of the important things you discuss, it's time to pen off. But thank you so much. Ryan from Manhattan said, I've been loving the pod for over a year and been telling folks about it for a while. Finally joining you to support. And Cody B is now a member saying... Thank you guys for putting in the long hours. I hope you all have great success for this year. It's been both humbling and joyful listening all these past few years. Everyone in my orbit loves your coffee. We've been gifting it to every conservative person we know as an icebreaker and conversation starter. Wow, I fucking love that. It's amazing. And then Rodney K is a member. I know it's been a long time since I've written, but a quick note to let you know that I'm still here and still listening. Your episodes on socialism, Carter, Palestine are fantastic. Wow. Thank you, Rodney K. We appreciate that. And our buddy, friend of the pod, Nathan Surst, bought a coffee, said just something to thank you for all you do. Looking forward to 2024 with UNFTR. And to round things out, we had a review from Indoballer23, who said it's obvious a lot of time and effort is put into the research done for each episode. While I don't agree 100%, I do appreciate the depth of each topic and conversation. Also, fuck Milton Friedman. Say it loud, say it with me. Yo, fuck Milton Friedman. Amen, brother. See you or next sister. time on fuckers. Sorry. Say That's it again. Okay. See you next time on fuckers. Bye.